Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Our guest this week on Carolina Newsmakers is Lynn Menges, and we're talking about the reaction of the North Carolina restaurants and hotels and motels and other folks who provide lodging. As She is the president and CEO of that uh, association that serves that group that represents some $22 billion in sales in North Carolina, and as we said, employs 13% of the state's workforce. Uh, Lynn, we, we've talked about all sorts of things, and I guess we've spent a little bit more time talking about the hotels and motels and other folks who supply lodging than we have restaurants. So let's talk a little bit about what some of the restaurants are doing during this period of time as they are uh, trying to recover and uh, discover new ways of uh, operating. And uh, uh, you mentioned the Count NC uh, project. Yes, Don. So, uh, you know, restaurants, as they began to reopen, they were allowed to reopen for in-dining service on May 22nd. That was leading into Memorial Day weekend. Uh, And we saw some restaurants choose to reopen at that time, although many remain closed and are still closed today, although some have come back uh, over the last few weeks. It's been a tough time for restaurants in general. So, you know, if you think about it, for about three months, they they were closed from May 17th until March 17th until around uh, you know, the end of May, they were closed for in-dining service. And so we saw, you know, quick service, drive-through delivery continue. And so those models that uh, provided those kind of services sustained pretty well. But largely, you know, most restaurants uh, did not have that as a part of their operations. Um, and so, you know, those that were able to, to put delivery and drive-through takeout curbside into place, um, you know, muddled their way through that period of time. Today, we see uh, some restaurants open, but they're, they're, op- they're limited to 50% capacity. And, and so to put, put that in perspective, there is no restaurant in America that can make money at 50% capacity. So even though they're open, they are not profitable at 50% capacity. They are still, you know, they've accrued debt during the time they were closed. And even as they open at 50% capacity, they are paying some of their bills, but not covering all of their costs. And so they're not able to recoup from the, the, you know, the, the 10 weeks or so that they were closed. So that really does, you know, continue to present challenges for these restaurants. Um, we're seeing some restaurants, though, who have pivoted their models. And I think that's going to be key going forward, Don, is that um, those restaurants that are able to, to reinvent themselves, to do things differently, to look at their business models differently, will survive this. And those who don't, you know, likely will not. I mean, this is going to be, we're going to be living with COVID, it appears, for some period of time. And, and so, you know, the restaurants who are going to make it are those who are doing, uh, you know, things like market baskets. They're working with local farmers and where they used to get uh, products and some still do get products in to prepare for diners, they're now offering off, uh, off, often off, offering those products to their patrons. So, you know, a patron may sign up for a, a food club. They may uh, stop by their local restaurant to pick up a, a box of meats or uh, produce or fruits, vegetables, products that they can then take home and prepare. Um, that is allowing some of those uh, restaurants to, you know, to remain profitable. Um, many of those that, that did not previously offer takeout and delivery are now doing that curbside service. That will continue to be a very important not just important, but a vital part of uh, success for restaurants going forward. Um, Many restaurants are having to um, 
adapt menus to try to look at uh, products that are more profitable, menu offerings that are more profitable for them. So, you know, we're not going into restaurants and seeing the extensive menu offerings that we saw before. You'll see very limited menus in many cases. Um, disposable menus are required, but but they're having to business owners are having to rethink their menu offerings um, to offer things that allow them to you know make the greatest profit. Um, you know, without those kinds of things, those kinds of uh, adaptations, it's going to be extremely difficult uh, for for restaurants to survive um, for for a long period of time. So you know, a lot of changes to our industry all around. Embracing technology, contactless payment. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of changes ab abroad. And so it, we're kind of living in this era where you adapt and change or, you know, many might not make it. We talked about the fact that the current uh, statewide workforce is about 13% of our total workforce in the state has to do with the, uh, the two uh, large segments that you represent. Uh, long range, what you're saying is that that number is gonna go down. So the two questions, how far down will that go? And then what do we do about finding jobs and new opportunities for those who are going to be permanently displaced? Well, I think we kind of hit the low point for uh, most restaurants and hotels, um, you know, when they were essentially shuttered and we're beginning to see some rehiring taking place right now. So that feels better, at least for our industry. Um, and, and so I, I think we'll continue to rehire staff um, and obviously, you know, good, talented staff uh, are always in demand. Um, so we, we should re, uh, continue to, you know, rehire staff as these businesses come back. Um, the concern will be those that don't make it and then what happens to those employees. So I don't think we're expecting wholesale, you know, layoff, permanent layoff of employees. We hope that many of those will be rehired and retained uh, even as the business models change because we're going to need, we're going to need to, you know, have people to offer hospitality for sure. Um, but I'm mostly concerned about the businesses and their models going forward and, um, you know, just finding some relief from them from the, the debt that these businesses find themselves in. That, that perhaps is the greatest threat that we're, we're facing today is the, the in, immense amount of debt that restaurants and hotels continue to incur um, during COVID-19 and just, you know, honestly, not much relief coming to support them. Now, we also, of course, uh, have a number of families that, found uh, trips to Disney World and other theme parks, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, are very important to their vacation plans and so forth. And uh, Disney and some of the other theme parks are beginning to reopen. But how long do you think before large numbers of people feel safe uh, with that out-of-state travel and uh, being involved with so many people on, on a close basis? What, what, what challenges are they facing? So, you know, we, we're, we're not only facing the, the, the real threat of COVID-19, but we're facing kind of a second enemy, and that is, uh, you know, just consumer confidence in travel and, and consumers feeling safe to travel. Um, and, and so that may be around for a while. I know the industry is very focused on helping to ensure consumers that uh, we're safe, that we're cleaning, we're practicing social distancing, you know, protocols, that we're doing all the kinds of things that, um, that that are intended to keep them safe. Uh, but I do think the consumers are going to continue to feel a little bit of uncertainty about that. Um, and again, I don't think it's on the business. I think it's a, a, a you know, the, the concern is really about other patrons who frequent these businesses, uh, places like Disney. So it's not about the, the efforts that Disney may put forward. I think they're 
they're comfortable with, um, you know, the cleaning protocols and they trust businesses like Disney and others. Um, but the question really is, can they trust other patrons, other uh, 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 folks who will attend these events? Uh, and that is the looming question. I, I, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, the face covering mandates that we're beginning to see um, at least reassure some people that there is that added layer of uh, protection for them and their families against, um, you know, the, this respiratory virus uh, impacting them. Now, the, the governor has made a big difference between bars and restaurants. Uh, you know, a number of restaurants, of course, have bars. How, how is that working? What's the, the uh, ratio there? So, Don, you know, this kind of gets back to uh, uh, North Carolina's archaic alcohol laws, which is something that we've been trying to chip away at at NCRLA for quite some period of time. We have, uh, you know, so many alcohol laws on the books that really need to be revisited. And this is one of them. It, it kind of really raises the question. In North Carolina, it is we do not have bars that are open to the public. Um, all all restaurant, all bars that are open to the public must serve food. And so that really becomes a restaurant. So bars that have food are restaurants. They're not bars. Bars in North Carolina are private clubs. And uh, the, the system sort of skirts the law by, by, say, by charging a dollar for you to come in and they put your name on a list. And if you pay that dollar, you're a member for a lifetime. It's a game. It's a way that, that these establishments sort of uh, skirt that archaic law that needs to be changed. And so that's really what we're bumping up against here is that, um, you know, restaurants are open to the public. They are inspected by the health department. They have to have a serve safe uh, food service manager on duty at all times. Uh, they have to post their sanitation scores. Um, you know, they have to abide by public laws, whereas bars are private clubs and they do not have to follow those same protocols. So that I think is really what we're getting caught up in here in North Carolina. It really goes back to that distinction of, you know, uh, truly there are no public bars that are regulated by the state in the way that restaurants are. And that really is the differentiator, I think. So, you know, we continue to work for bars to be open. We do have a number of bars in membership. Um, it is concerning that they can't be operational and, you know, they're losing money. They're, they're, you know, they're struggling, really, really struggling. But this is a, a continued continued issue of concern. Well, it's, uh, thank you for that uh, uh, information there. I didn't, uh, I, I knew that the North Carolina laws had been patched uh, up and, and not ever really focused on having a uniform, up-to-date law, but I didn't realize it was quite that archaic. Our guest is Lynn, uh, Lynn Menges, and she will be back with one final segment here on Carolina Newsmakers, and uh, we will get her views on what is facing the, the restaurants and the hotels and motels of North Carolina as they uh, join all of us in the fight against COVID-19. And we'll be back right after these messages. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was going to do it, but I definitely didn't do it alone. At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. Just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, 
Go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Lynn Menges, who's the president and CEO of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. A reminder that a number of people who carry this program carry a half-hour version. If you'd like to hear the full-hour version, actually it's two, uh, uh, about 20 minutes more of content, uh, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire uh, segments that you missed or the entire podcast if you'd like to share it with a friend. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. Our guest is Lynn Menges, President and CEO of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. We mentioned earlier that this this association's firms represent uh, about $22 billion in sales in North Carolina and employ about 13% of the state's labor force. I've said that several times because I think that's a, a much larger figure than I would have anticipated. Uh, so it is a very important part of our economy, and it is a part that has been uh, very hard hit by uh, the effects of this uh, pandemic that we're in. Uh, Lynn, one thing we didn't ta- talk about was the was it Count on Me NC? Yes, yes. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Don. Um, we are very proud of our Count on Me NC initiative. Uh, as restaurants were closed across North Carolina uh, for that period of time between March 17th and May 22nd, um, we spent time uh, thinking a lot about what reopening would look like for restaurants across our state. We knew that we would have some strict guidance in place, and we began to work with the governor and with North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services on a reopening plan. I think North Carolina was very blessed in that we we spent a lot of time focused on reopening, and so we did that better than other states. We came out of the, the closure, I think, in a better position. And one of the reasons we did is that we worked together to create a, a program in North Carolina that started with a North Carolina restaurant promise. We outlined the kinds of things that restaurants, as a part of reopening, would promise, would pledge to do. But we knew that uh, restaurants uh, would need some incentive uh, and some direction about what reopening would look like. And so we worked together to create a program called Count on Me NC. Uh, your listeners can learn more about this initiative by going to the website, countonmenc.org. And uh, here's the way it works. We, um, we encourage listeners to go there and learn about their commitment, uh, that we ex- the things that we expect of our guests as they come into restaurants across our state and to other businesses. Um, but there is a component for businesses. So we knew that uh, restaurants who were facing reopening would need to have some kind of direction, some training that they could provide to their wait staff, front of the house employees, back of the house employees, and restaurant managers. So we developed five training modules. Uh, customers can go there and, and look at those training modules. Uh, front of the house employees take this training as well as back of the house restaurant managers. 
there is a, a training module. Uh, these are all online courses, 30 minutes in length. There is a training module for cleaning staff. So if you think about it, not only do those folks who clean restaurants have to clean the tops of the tables as they did before, um, and the salt and pepper shakers, they now have to clean the sides of the tables, the chairs, the backs of the tables. They have to change linens more frequently. They have to uh, even clean the ink pens that people use when they sign their bill at the end of the, the service. Uh, the cleaning pro protocols are much more rigorous. So this training program teaches all of those things to employees uh, and to business owners and operators. Um, at, the, at the end of the training, uh, those folks who complete the training, and we've probably completed about 50,000 training modules to date, uh, training courses to date. Uh, when folks take that training, they can print out a certificate that shows that they've completed the Count on Me and See uh, training, and they then sign their name to a pledge indicating not only that they've been trained on these things, but they sign a pledge to say we're going to do these things in our businesses. So I think folks can comfortably look for businesses across North Carolina that carry the Count on Me logo. Uh, you can find those on our website. So if you go to that Count on Me web, NC website, you can see businesses who have signed the pledge, who are committed to best practices, and patrons who come into those establishments can feel comfortable that those businesses have gone above and beyond what the law requires uh, to make sure that they're compliant with the very best practices in, self, uh, in, in safety and sanitation during COVID-19. So real excited about that program. We were the first in the nation to have anything of that, of that nature. And now we're seeing other states uh, copying that model, which we're honored uh, that they are, uh, but very proud of that initiative. And, um, you know, it really is about a sense of mutual respect and responsibility as we come back into uh, restaurants and other businesses across our state. So, Lynn, as uh, you look ahead at what's remaining in this month and uh, the rest of the summer and the early fall, what, uh, what are you forecasting is going to happen to the members of your association and how? Uh, how will they continue to adapt to the situation? So restaurants and hotels across our state are struggling today and they will continue to struggle for the next uh, period of time, not just through COVID-19, uh, but they have taken on so much debt during this, the period of time when they were closed. Um, you know, they took on a, a lot of debt because their fixed costs remained uh, high. You know, they had lease payments and, uh, tax property tax payments and insurance payments uh, that didn't go away utility bills that didn't go away and so they continue to take on debt and they are struggling um, and the challenge today is that at 50 percent they may be paying more of those bills but they are not coming out from that debt they're not making money they're not profitable and so that's going to continue for some period of time um, they're facing increased labor cost because they're having to add staff to to do all the protocols the cleaning they're incurring uh, an additional cost because of all the PPE, the hand sanitizers, the cleaning products, the face masks, the gloves uh, that they're having to purchase. Um, food costs are rising. We're seeing just uh, exorbitant costs for, for meats right now because of the, the, you know, uh, the, the challenges with some of the, 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 the food supply issues that we're having. Um, and so all of that, I think, is going to add increased cost uh, to, our, to our restaurants and hotels. And, and so, you know, they're going to continue to struggle for, for some period of time as they try to, you know, recover from this debt that they've incurred during COVID. Um, and honestly, we are just not getting much relief from government at any level. There have been, you know, some things, but largely have not really helped to, to pay the bills of, of businesses. Not that we expect, you know, bills to be paid, but 
there really has not been much relief uh, from either the federal or state government in, in terms of addressing some of the unique challenges that restaurants and hotels are incurring right now. So I am concerned about uh, the status of these businesses. And, um, you know, we appreciate consumers who've continued to, to take, get takeout and delivery and support restaurants. Uh, but the road ahead for these guys is going to be pretty tough. It's, it's, a, it's tough. Well, it's, uh, it is tough. And, uh, I guess what we're all hoping for is, uh, the, the, uh, pinning our hopes on a vaccine because that's the only thing that's going to probably get us back to some, some, some normalcy and, uh, especially in your, your particular fields. Uh, Lynn, uh, we've got sort of an awkward, uh, amount of time left. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds to make your pitch for whatever you want to say, because I've got 30 seconds and not time to ask a question. So, Don, we very much appreciate those who have continued to support restaurants with takeout and delivery, family-style pickup, uh, you know, buying other products, uh, joining food clubs and things of that nature that restaurants are offering today. Uh, and we look forward to, to working with uh, listeners to, to, you know, try to rebuild and recover. We do encourage folks to wear face coverings. It's not a political statement. It really just helps to protect other patrons, make them feel more comfortable and protect our employees so that we don't have to shut down again. So we encourage folks to consider that and just look forward to, to serving you in restaurants and hotels across North Carolina. You know, you should be in broadcasting. That was almost exactly 30 seconds, and that was exactly what I asked for. So, Lynn Menges, thank you so much for sharing uh, the uh, information about how the restaurants and the uh, hotels and motels in North Carolina are uh, facing uh, the challenges of the current economic situation. The program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. So until next week, same time on the same group of stations. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.